0: What a great song. That was phenomenal. We'll have to do that more. Such great words. Such great words. Well, it's good to be back. I'm going to have a little dilemma tonight. I uh, We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, so you want to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. But it's been some time since we've been in our study of Galatians, I almost thought this week maybe I should just go back and preach the last message I preached so that we know what we're doing here in Galatians chapter 5. But I'm not going to do that. I overcame my own desires for that. But it is good to be back in it. I hope that's true in your own heart, albeit this Lord's Day only will be in it because next Lord's Day is prayer night. (laughs) So here we are for a week and it's good for us to be here, but that's how the Lord would have it for us. And so I'm glad that we're here tonight to study this together. Would you just bow with me in a word of prayer as we begin? Father, we need you in every way. Mostly, we need you to understand. We need you to help us understand all that you say. What it means by what it says, we know that without the Spirit illumining our eyes and hearts and minds, we would not understand your authorial intent behind it, and yet we can understand it by your grace and mercy as you have granted to us your Spirit. And so, Lord, open our minds, open our ears, open our hearts to receive the truth, to embrace these things, to practice these things, and to glorify you through obedience to them. And we'll praise you in the end. For eternity, we will stand in your presence and praise you. And so we are grateful that we can do that now through the study of your word. So, tend to our time in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's one thing that happens to everything in this world as it sits idle for some time. The thing that happens to everything is that it tends to decay, tends to fall apart. Well, in a similar way, that happens with our memories. Memories fade over time. Memories are not as sharp today as they were when we were younger. And since it's been some time since we've been here in our study of Galatians, I'll dare say that many of us even remember what we studied last time. So I want to just begin our time with some reminders, reminders about where we've begun. We've been focusing our attention in chapter 5, verses 2 through 12. This is where we've spent our time over the last several weeks as the Apostle Paul is reminding the Galatian believers about what matters most. And here is what he says. I'll just read it for us. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Because in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, then why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Would that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. This is very practical in its entire content for the Christian life. It's very practical in that Paul lays out some very important implications for us as Christians about how you and I are to internalize the reality of what matters most or what ought to matter most in life. In our previous time of study back in chapters 3 and 4, you may remember how Paul proved with declarations and definitive argumentation from both the Old Testament prophets and his own experience as well as their experience in the spiritual realm, he had proved that Christians standing before God or justification before God has always been granted through faith alone. It is not through any other means. It comes no other way. In other words, apart from any effort on man's part. Apart from any effort on our own part as human beings, it's only through faith by the power of the Spirit of God that God redeems and that God makes us His children and His heir. And now we are in chapter 5, and you know Galatians has a chapter 6, and in these two chapters Paul is now showing us what justifying faith, what through the power of the Spirit, produces in the life of the Christian. We know we are saved by faith. We know we are justified by faith in Christ alone. Now Paul begins to show us what that life looks like. And I guess in one sense we could even summarize what Paul has said by his statement that we find here in chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul says it was for freedom... That Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. This is the statement of statements, if you will, based upon all that Paul has said before, all that Paul has argued for in reference to the authority of Christ and the way that someone is saved and the way that we are justified before God is through Jesus Christ. This freedom that we have, it was for freedom, he says, that Christ set us free. We might even say for us as Christians, it is possible to start well but not finish well. It is possible for us as Christians to start well but not finish well. In other words, we might understand what matters most at the start. We might understand justification is by faith alone, in Christ alone. And yet, we might allow ourselves to get tripped up along the way and not finish well. Notice, that Paul begins with that statement of fact here in verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. That is fact. That is not theory. That is not suggestion. That is not some fanciful kind of thinking and wishful thinking. That is fact. That is settled reality. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we the Christian have been set free in order that we now live in that freedom. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Freedom from what? Freedom from the slavery of attempting in and of ourselves to gain a righteous standing before God according to our efforts. We are free from that. It was for freedom by Christ We are set free, completely free, from any kind of activity in order to gain righteousness. So remember that it was for freedom that we are set free. But, but most importantly, in this entire sentence here in verse 1, most importantly, we must remember that it was Christ that set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. When did that happen? When were we set free? Well, in the mind and the heart of God, we were free through the declaration of God in eternity past when He chose us to be His child. Before eternity past, God chose us in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1 says. He seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. He has, according to Paul in Romans, glorified us. He has sanctified us. He has justified us. It is a declared reality in eternity past. And God carries out what he has determined and declared through Jesus Christ as Christ comes and accomplishes in time all that God has declared and accomplished in his heart before it was ever done in time. Christ accomplishes the very thing that God has declared to happen, and therefore our freedom has nothing to do with our effort. That's why Paul says it this way, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. To say it simply, we could just simply say, Christ accomplished what we could never accomplish. We know this. We've heard this. We've understood that. Christ accomplished what we could not accomplish. And so based upon that understanding, the Apostle Paul makes an appeal to each and every believer. He makes an appeal to the Galatians, and through the Galatians, as he's writing to them, we are reading this right here today, and we too are being given the appeal by the Apostle Paul in light of the truth that we understand. Notice what he says in verse 1. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject yourself again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, finish well. You start well, now finish well. That is simply to say, in appreciation of and in comprehension of all that Christ has accomplished on your behalf in light of the Godhead, choosing you and saving you and accomplishing all of that by granting you the faith to believe in Jesus Christ whereby you have been justified before God, run well so that you finish well. Stand firm in your faith And do not make any adjustments to it. Do not in any way adjust the saving faith that you have in Jesus Christ. Because that is what matters most. Now why why would the Apostle Paul find the need to exhort in that way? Why would he seem to have to find the need to exhort Christians in that way? Why would a Christian, a genuine believer, need to be exhorted to never make adjustments to their foundational faith, to the fundamental truth that they understand about Christ and justification in Christ alone Well, here's the reason. Because there is a tendency in us to drift. There is a tendency within us and in our flesh to drift. There is a tendency within us to make adjustments. There is a tendency within us and in our flesh to make adjustments in our thinking about salvation. In what way? Well, in the simple way. To attach somehow our salvation to our own efforts. To say and think in some way, even in the subtlest of ways, that somehow we have something to do with our justification before God. To place God's sanctifying work in our lives in the place of God's justifying work in our lives. To take the walk of faith and replace it, put it in the place of justifying declaration by God. We start well, we start well with an understanding of justification by faith alone, but oftentimes we do not finish well. I was thinking about this recently, because lately, over the past eight months or so, my wife and I have been doing some... Things in our life to edit our physical health. And one of those things that we do is we try to exercise regularly, and most of the time that exercise takes the form of running. Now, that surprises many of you for me to say that, I know, because for my entire life, my motto was why would I run? when I can drive? Why would I expend the energy to get out there and put my body through some kind of difficult task when it's easier for me to get from point A to point B on a motorized vehicle? I am not a fan of running. And I would even say today, even after eight months, I'm still not a fan of running. But I've been doing it And it has helped me physically. But there is something I have found out about running that you who are experienced runners know. It is possible to start out really well and not finish well. The untrained mind loves to convince you that you are better than you are. That you are more equipped to do whatever it is you are doing than you are equipped to do it. And so you start out at paces in running that you cannot sustain. You start out running as if you are an Olympic athlete when in fact you couldn't beat a kindergartner across the field. And while you may finish whatever distance you have planned to go, the fact of the matter is You finish crawling. Why? Because of how you handled yourself in the run. You start out well, but you do not finish well. Well, that that, sadly is oftentimes the Christian life. The Christian life is a race. We know it is a race. It is not a sprint. It is not even a mile. It is a lifelong race. It is life long. And the greatest danger against us, the greatest danger for us to not finishing well is not what you think it might be. The greatest danger to us to not finishing well is us. It's us. And the need in us for carefully scrutinizing everything we come in contact with spiritually. We need to scrutinize it. We need to be careful about it. We need to think it through and we need to analyze it according to the Scriptures. What am I trying to say? I'm just simply trying to say that there is a grave danger in the race whereby we start to undermine the sufficiency of Christ in our life. And we begin to convince ourselves along the way that somehow Christ isn't actually sufficient to do all that God has promised for us through Christ. And we begin to change what matters really most. If we're not careful to recognize what matters most, the sufficiency of Christ begins to be undermined. This is what has happened with the Galatian believers. Paul is extremely concerned. He is extremely concerned. Notice how Paul addresses this in our text that I want to spend our time in tonight, verses 7 to 12. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? If that's the case, then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Would that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Paul says in verse 7, you were running well. You started out well. What happened? You were were running really good. What happened? Well, some of the Galatian Christians had started to embrace the thinking that what they did in their own lives, by way of activity, by way of spiritual things, would in fact accomplish something spiritually to ensure their justification. Specifically, we understand what it was that If they got circumcised, then through that act of circumcision, they would in fact be justified before God. And we saw that in verses two through five that Paul says, listen, if you receive circumcision, then Christ is no benefit to you. Christ is saying, listen, if you base your justification upon the things of outward activity, including circumcision, according to some kind of ritualistic rule and law that somebody says you must do in order to know God, then Christ is null and void in your life. And in fact, if you do that, you're under obligation to the whole law. This is what had happened. These legalistic Judaizers had come into the church and they had begun to undermine the doctrine of justification by faith alone. They had edited it and and put in a a little addendum, if you will, to it teaching a doctrine of justification by faith plus other things. Now, normally that wouldn't necessarily be a problem. Someone comes along and they start to begin to talk like that. It wouldn't be a problem if the Galatians are thinking correctly, but as often happens in a race, someone comes along and trips you up remember years ago in the Olympics, the females were running one of the races, and I don't remember what the length of the race was. Zola Budd was the name of the gal running, and somebody else didn't want her to win. She was the known Olympic medalist who was going to win, and as she started running, they were running around the track, and one gal came alongside her and tripped her up, and she cut her leg and fell into the infield, and the Olympic gold was gone simply because this person came alongside her and decided to take her out of the race. This is what happens in the Christian life. This is the conundrum that we find ourselves in sometimes in the Christian life. This is what's happening with the Galatians here in verse 7. As soon as you receive the good news of the gospel, as soon as you, you hear about justification by faith alone, you believe, and you are off to the races, you go you are running well. And all of a sudden, you are in danger of not finishing well. What happened? Paul says, who hindered you from obeying the truth? In other words, a change has happened in you. Something has gone on in your life. You have gone from running well, i.e., obeying the truth, right? That's the Synonym idea here with running well. The running well is equated with obeying the truth. You were running well, you were obeying truth, and now you're not obeying the truth. Now you've switched gears, now you've gone off. Why? Because of a hindrance. And notice the hindrance is not a what, it's a who. It's a who. Someone has hindered you. Who hindered you? Hindered's a great word. It's a great word that Paul uses here because it means to cut off. To cut you off. In other words, who cut you off in the race? Who cut you off? Who introduced to you another way? Who introduced to you another track to run on? Who told you in the race that you're to slow down? Who told you that you no longer need to obey the truth that you know? You notice here, there are at least three realities taking place here that's going on, right? First, he says, you've been running well. That's the first reality. Then he says, secondly, you've been obeying the truth. You've been walking by faith in that. You're running well. You're, you're obeying the truth. And yet someone has hindered your progress. That's the third reality. So clearly the Galatians had made a great start in the Christian life. Clearly they had understood the gospel. In fact, they must have understood it in light of what the apostle Paul says, even all the way back in chapter one, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. The hindrance wasn't just, Hey, we'll slow down in the race. The hindrance was we're leaving the track. We're leaving the track. Paul's like, what happened? You're living free from the bondage of keeping the law for justification. You're obeying the truth concerning justification through faith in Jesus Christ alone. What happened? That's what he means when he says here, you're obeying the truth. The word truth is referring to that doctrine, the doctrine of justification by faith alone. The very truth that Paul has exhorted back in verse 1. You stay steadfast in it. You stand firm, he says in chapter 5, verse 1. And false teachers come along. You're combining your faith with practice. You're doing what's right. You're walking by faith. You're living out what you believe. And then someone else comes along. Someone else comes up by next to you and you're, they're hindering you. They tripped you up in your obedience. Really? Why did that happen, Paul says, Here's why it happened. Because they began to listen to the wrong people. They began to listen to the wrong people. Instead of faith alone, now they're hearing faith plus. Now they're buying into the reality of gospel plus works. Jesus, yes, but Jesus and. And that had raised doubts in their undisciplined minds about who they are to follow. And it's leading them to doubt this doctrine that Paul has been arguing for and shown them. So here's the question I want to raise tonight for us as we think through this passage. How? How is it that we are to combat against that? How do we combat against drifting, against getting knocked off track? How does the Christian who is running well also finish well? We're going to hear, I think, a whole lot over the next several months from the Apostle Paul on this, because it begins in our text tonight, and it goes all the way through chapter 6, but tonight, I just want to draw out for us from this text four practical helps, four practical helps to discern troublemaking hindrances to our Christian race. Four practical helps to discern troublemaking hindrances to our Christian race. Practical help number one. Here it is. Never forget where hindrances come from. Never forget where hindrances come from. Notice what he says in verse 8. This persuasion. What does he mean by that? He means it by those who are hindering them. This persuasion did not come from Him who calls you. That's, That's what hindrances to the Christian life are. They're not just simple challenges. They're not just simple bumps in the road, they are persuasions. Why? Because that's the intent of them. The intent is to persuade you off. To persuade you how to think. To persuade you to think a different way. In the case of the Galatians, it was the false teaching about circumcision. It was teaching that law-keeping was necessary in order to be saved. For you and I, it comes in all kinds of forms that we see and hear. It might be on the radio through a preacher. It might be through some movie that we see that's perpetuating something. Very often times and most often it comes through the written material that we read. And I come across this often as a pastor. Books that are picked up. Books that people come across. Things that we read. Things that we are engaged with or have seen I came across one recently that I was reading and I noticed right out of the gate because there are some who were reading this right out of the gate a sentence from this very book that was troubling that would that would cause one to to who is running well to not run so well anymore and the sentence was with, was this. It was in the introduction, in the first five sentences of the introduction of this book. It gave the purpose of this book. This book will help you to fulfill your need as a wife to be loved by your husband. Then you need to give your husband the respect that he needs. So fulfill your need as a wife to be loved by your husband by you giving your husband the respect that he needs. Sounds very nice, sounds very helpful, and yet it is man centered thinking. Why do I say that? Because that is not what Ephesians 5 says. Ephesians 5 does not say for you to accomplish what you desire that you are the one who fulfill your needs by giving someone else what they want. Doesn't say that. In fact, what Ephesians 5 says is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Period. Exclamation point. No further ex- no further discussion. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, follow your husbands as you follow Christ. In other words, the only way you can do what you are commanded to do in honor and glory to God through your Christian life as you live that out within the context of marriage is to keep your eyes on Christ. Follow Him. Serve the other because you desire to serve Christ. And in doing so, you will treat the other as you ought, even though they may not obey Christ. Always, therefore, then trusting God to meet your needs and you not working to meet your own needs. Why? Because you can never meet your needs the way God desires to meet your needs anyway. So that is a persuasion that comes our way. And those persuasions come in a varied way. But what is most important to recognize is from where they come. Notice what Paul says. The origin is not from God. This persuasion did not come from Him who calls you. It is not from Him who called you. That's God. All right, this is what the Apostle Paul declares all the way back, the foundation of this letter, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, not through the agency of man, I came through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. It is God in Christ who has called you unto salvation. This is what Paul is saying here in verse 8. I am surprised you were running well. Now you're not obeying the truth. And the reason you're not obeying the truth is because you're not listening to the right voices. The persuasion that has come to you is not from God. That is not its origin. You need to know that. You need to understand that. The implication is that the source from which the persuasion comes is hostile to you because it is hostile to God and therefore because it is hostile to God and hostile to you, it cannot in any way be helpful for your spiritual life. So for the Galatians, justification by faith plus was a false gospel. Paul says it is a persuasion that is not from God says you need to know that. You need to know that its origin, that its source is not from God. And since it's not from God, it can only be something to hinder your path. Mark this down. Write it in your margin. Put it somewhere on a note card for you to remember. Man-centered thinking is against God-centered thinking. Man-centered thinking is always against God-centered thinking. So this is help number one for us as Paul speaks to the Galatian believers. Listen, you need to understand and remember and never forget where the source is from. It's not from God. These persuasions that draw you away from the truth that you know is not coming from God. That alone ought to be enough for us to say, hold on, I'm not going that way. And yet oftentimes we continue. So Paul gives practical help number two. Practical help number two is this. Know the effect of those dangerous persuasions. Know the effect of those dangerous persuasions. Notice verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. In other words, it's utter foolishness to embrace any persuasion that is not from God because it has an infiltrating effect In other words, what it does is no little matter. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Of course, you who are bakers know exactly what that means by way of analogy. It doesn't take a whole lot of leavening agent added to flour to infect and affect the entire dough. Years ago when I was Before I went in the military, I worked in a bread factory. My father was one of the higher-ups in the bread factory, and so I got a job in the janitational department. We used to call ourselves sanitation engineers. That sounded a lot better than janitors. I worked in this bread factory, and they would make batches of bread that weighed upwards of 1,000 pounds, one batch. And they would take that dough and pour it in a machine and it would break it down to small dough, but they would mix it up in these thousand pound batches. And the amount of yeast that was put into that batch was minuscule by way of its size compared to the amount of flour and everything else that they put in that batch. Why? Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And just as bread does not rise unless it contains an active culture of yeast, so too our Christian lives will be unaffected by dangerous persuaders if you do not swallow the leaven. That's what he says. He says, don't just take in a little, don't take in any. Don't swallow any of the leaven. And this is what Paul is saying to the Galatians. Listen, don't you understand that even the most minuscule amount of that is going to infiltrate your entire life? The smallest amount of it is going to be trouble for you. So for the Galatians, it's this, a simple pinch, a simple pinch of trusting in yourself for justification contaminates the entire gospel of justification by faith alone. You take just a little bit of that, just this one thing called circumcision, and you add it to that, it infects everything. And the whole doctrine of justification falls apart for you. So if you embrace any of the teaching of the Judaizers, if you embrace any of the doctrines that they are teaching, then you will have to embrace all of their teaching. If you choose to be circumcised as an act of earned righteousness, then you better be prepared, as Paul has already said to them, you better be prepared to keep every law for righteousness. And if that's what you do, then the saving true gospel is null and void for you. Christ has been severed from you You've fallen from grace. Beloved, this is how it is with doctrinal heresy. This is how it is with allowing a little light to shine in in the doctrine when heresy is introduced. It's like yeast in bread. It spreads until it works its way through every doctrine. You cannot have just a little bit of heresy included in your eschatology and a little bit of, and no heresy included in any of the other doctrines because a little bit of heresy in your doctrine of eschatology will infect every other doctrine that you believe. Sooner or later, uh, the leaven will go throughout all of it. It spreads until it works its way through every doctrine, and in the end, it destroys all of your doctrine. So we have to resist. We have to resist any of it. We have to resist every error that strikes at the truth of the gospel and the implications that that has for our Christian living. We have to resist that. It may seem comfortable. It may seem okay, But if if it is not from God, then we know where the source is and it will infect everything that we know. We have been saved by faith and therefore we walk and live by faith. So helpful hint number one is keep the origin of these kinds of persuasions in your mind. Who is it from? And number two, know the effect of those persuasions. Know the origin, know the effect. Practical help number three, never forget the sovereign hand of God in it all. Never forget the sovereign hand of God in it all. Paul says in verse 10, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view. The one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Paul says, listen, I I trust in the sovereign hand of God and God's sovereignty works in both directions. I have confidence in you, Paul says first, in the Lord. I love that because Paul is practicing what he's preaching. Paul is telling them, listen, trust the Lord, continue to trust the Lord, continue to walk by faith. And Paul is doing that even with them. I have confidence in you, in the Lord. I have a a conviction that you as true believers will remain true and the false will come under judgment one day. I love that. It's very comforting to, to me as a Christian, very comforting to me as a pastor. Why? Because that just simply means I need to keep my eyes on the prize. I can come alongside others, I can help others i can I can bring them to the truth that I understand, and, and we can come together and we can look at these things together, and we can come to those god honoring conclusions together. but guess what we don 't have to do with one another we don 't have to fix each other as a christian i don 't have to fix you, you don't have to fix me. Why? Because God is the fix god 's the fix. That simply tells me that no matter how influential a false teacher may happen to be, in the end, they'll be dealt with by God. They'll be dealt with by God. And none of the children of God will ever be lost. That's why Paul can say that, I have confidence in you in the Lord. Paul's not saying, listen, I have confidence in you because you're really great people and I think you'll come along. No, he's saying, I have confidence in you because I believe the Lord has you. That is simply to say that his confidence didn't rest in them, rested in Christ. Paul, Paul knew that God would do what was best. Paul knew that God would always do what would honor and glorify himself and be best for each individual involved. And he lived by that belief. And so Paul says, listen, I I'm not I'm not going to forget the sovereign hand of God in all this. Yes, I taught you the truth. Yes, you are bewitched. Yes, I can't believe how quickly you've deserted him. Yes, you're you're in grave danger here. Yes, it might be true that you truly don't know Jesus Christ, but I have confidence in the Lord that God's going to keep those who are his and he will judge those who aren't. Practical help number four. Practical help number four. Paul simply says this. Remember this, running well is not easy. Running well is not easy. Verse 11 and 12, But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? If that's the case, the stumbling blocks of the block of the cross has been abolished. It's been abolished. If if I'm preaching like they're saying I'm preaching, if I'm doing what they're saying I'm, I'm doing, if they're what they're accusing me of doing, then why in the world am I still persecuted in this life? If that's the case, if I preach what they're preaching, then there is no stumbling block to the cross. The writer of Hebrews said it this way, quote, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Lay aside every encumbrance. Lay aside every encumbrance. Why does Paul say that? Or why does the writer of Hebrews say that? Because easy is easy. Doing easy is easy to do. Lay aside every hindrance and everything that entangles us. Why? Because things get in the way. You can't run well, as I have found out, wearing things that hinder your running. I was amazed the other day. I was at a race, watching, not running. My wife was running. I was watching. And I was watching the winner come past me. Ten miles he was running. and He was coming past me, running, at a pace that I couldn't run in my best day if I tried with an engine on my shoe. And he wasn't even breathing hard. He had run 10 miles uphill, downhill, and and was picking up speed as he's getting towards the finish line. Why? He had no hindrance upon him. There was nothing in way of his progress. This is how we are to run. Lay aside every encumbrance, lay aside what entangles us. And as we do that, we find that running is better. And when we run better, we can endure longer. But we cannot think that means that there will be no challenges to finishing. A better. I get at running, which is not very good, but the better I get, the more I realize there are still challenges to finishing well, and the greatest challenge is right between my ears. It's my own mind. So we have to understand there will still be challenges. In fact, the better you run, the more they seem to come. This is what Paul is showing them through his own life. Paul says the Judaizers are claiming that I'm still teaching about circumcision. They're still claiming that or accusing me of that. Why? Well, possibly because Paul insisted in Acts that Timothy get circumcised. They were going to go preach to some Jews. And Paul insisted that Timothy be circumcised So that his witness in the gospel among those Jews wouldn't be hindered. And so the Judaizers are using that and saying, see, see, Paul requires circumcision. You see, that's what Paul preaches. So whatever he's telling you is a bunch of nonsense. He's preaching just like us. Paul is preaching circumcision. But the difference was that Paul wasn't saying to Timothy, hey, Timothy, listen, you need to be circumcised because that's what you need to do in order to be saved. Paul wasn't saying, listen, Timothy, get circumcised because incircumcision is justification. No, Paul was saying, listen, these are legalistic Jews. These are Jews that believe that the outward righteousness is what they must do in order to be saved. We, They won't even listen to you unless you're circumcised. So get circumcised so that we can share the gospel with them. They need to know the truth. so Paul is saying to the Galatian believers, listen, if I still preach circumcision as a means of justification, then why am I still finding trouble in this life? Why am I persecuted for what I preach? If I'm preaching their doctrine, then why are they against me? The point Paul is making is they're against me Not because I've removed the stumbling block of the cross by preaching circumcision, but because the cross's stumbling block is still there and they hate Christ. The reason I'm persecuted is because I don't preach what they preach because this is what I always preach and what I preach always brings trouble. I preach faith in Christ alone. I don't preach a Christ plus justification. And the more you live by faith in Christ alone, the more you are persecuted for it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Paul would have never told Timothy these words had Paul meant what the Judaizers were accusing Paul of in Galatians. He said, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. For all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul says, listen, I, verse 12, would that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. He, lists, Listen, they want to say circumcision is good, but I, I say this should go all the way. I say they should become priests in the, in the religion that they're touting, just like the eunuchs, and just mutilate themselves, totally castrate themselves fully. Then they would really show themselves to be righteous and justified in that kind of way if they want to do that, but they're not willing to do that. Paul says to the Galatians, here's here's help for you. You were running well, now you're not running so well. You're not obeying the truth. Well, here's how you can be helped in getting back on track. No, no, first of all, the persuasion is not from God. Know where it comes from. No, secondly, the effect of it. The effect of these persuasions is not just a, a minor effect. It is a, a totally saturating effect. It will affect everything if you take even the little bit of it. But never forget that God is sovereign in it all. That doesn't mean you don't act. That doesn't mean you don't help. That doesn't mean you don't fight against those things. That means that you trust God always with the outcome of it all. And then fourthly, running... Well isn't easy. Running well isn't easy. Don't sit back on your laurels and think, okay, now I've made it, I don't have to do it anymore. The pushback never goes away if you are faithful to the gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, all to the glory of God alone, according to the scriptures alone. The pushback never stops. It's always there. There's always someone on the track waiting to trip you Paul says it is doable. It is doable. You can run well. You can finish well. How? As you walk by the Spirit. As you walk by the Spirit. We'll begin to see that next time. That's what Paul gets into, particularly in verse 16. I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Well, let's pray together. Father, as we come to you once again, we, we are so needy. We need you in every way, every day, every moment. We are so vulnerable at every turn. Helpful runners on the same track, and yet those who are unhelpful all around us waiting to trip us up. Lord, we don't want to be tripped up. Help us to remember these, these helps. These practical helps that will allow us to see things for what they are. Lord, help us to be those who would scrutinize everything according to Your Word. Take it back to the truth. And not turn our backs on the things which we know to be true and right and are convinced of. May we continue to walk in truth. Obeying the truth. Thank you for this warning. Thank you for the challenge. Help to use it in our lives, we pray, to your glory, in Christ's name. Amen.